This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Shalom uvracha, welcome dear shluchim to this uh, special Fabrengen webinar with uh, Dr. Laz, Dr. David Lazerson. It's an honor and a pleasure to spend time with shluchim any day of the year, especially in the days uh, approaching the holy days of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's right now 4.15 p.m. Eastern, and the plan is to Fabreng for about an hour. And if you have to come and go, please do so. We recognize your busy schedules, and we're very excited that you're here with us for this live Fabreng. And those who aren't live on the line, but we'll be uh, picking it up in the recording, so we welcome you as well. Dr. Laz uh, suggested that we start with the L'chaim. So L'chaim L'vracha, it's uh, quite the incredible thought that in just about every corner of the world, there are shulchim of the Rebbe who are going to be dedicating the Rashan in Yom Kippur to taking care of the Jews who are in their communities. Large numbers, small numbers, but definitely high in quantity. I'm sorry, high in quality. And that's the, that's the focus of today's Fabreng. So l'chaim to you where, you, where you are, and Hatzlacha over the top, being Makariv, these Yidin to the Rebbe, to the Ebesher, and it should be Hashan Tevar for everybody. A brief word of, of introduction. In, in my simple understanding of the Rebbe's call to Shluchim to take care of Yidin everywhere in the world, it means literally that. Every Yid everywhere in the world. And our job is only complete when that is the reality on the ground. Every Jew has a home every place in the world. A couple of years back, we had a Fabrengen after Rosh Hashanah, and it was designed to be a, a pick-me-up for shluchim who did not have a crowd, in some cases not even a minion. Uh, Elio Shusterman uh, arranged it with me, and one of the shluchim who were on the line was Rabbi Yechel Shlemelevitansky, somewhere in the Ukraine. And he told the following word of inspiration. He said he remembers as a bacher, uh, well, first he explained to us that on Yom Kippur, he was davening for the Ambud. Now, he was the chazan, the bakayer, the rabbi, the gabai, the greeter, the cleaner-upper, and everything else. And he was davening Musa for the Ambud on Yom Kippur. And his, father, his son said to him, give him a tap on the shoulder. He said, Tati, there are only 12 people left. And a few minutes later, his kid tapped him again and said, Tati, there's only eight people left. Now, he's the chazan. <laughs> and it was a matter of time until his kid tapped him and said, Tati, you're the only one in the room. And he was the chazan. And, and, and what are you going to do? And he shared the following inspiration. It was, it was Simchas Teira, Tafshin and Beis, and I was blessed to be in 770 on that morning. And when the Rebbe came in for Shachris, 770 was not as full as it, as it had been the night before or as full as it would be by the time HaKafah started because it was, seven, it was relatively early morning for those who had rained all night. I think the Rebbe didn't go upstairs until close to 4 o'clock in the morning. So it was, it, the, the, the crowd wasn't there yet. And the Rebbe walked in, and it was, this was an incredible, uplifted feeling in the room. The Rebbe got straight to his place, put the siddur down on the, on, on the shtender, turned around, and started encouraging the nigan of Sheyibana. Wow! It was, it was like we went from zero to 150 in, in, in less than a couple seconds. And uh, Rebbe Shabbat Levitansky said, I remember standing there thinking, who's the Rebbe looking at? The room is nearly empty. Who's the Rebbe looking at? 
And I, he explained, I understood in my mind, the Rebbe's not looking at us in the room, the Rebbe's looking at every Jew everywhere in the world. And we know enough stories of uh, where the Rebbe sent, for example, Rabbi Weinberg or others to a location for one day to meet one Jew and come home. And he said, here I am in my place, and I think someone in Ukraine, he said, there are times where I get up in the morning, I think to myself, the Rebbe sent me here today, for this day, to meet one Jew, and that's what I'm doing here. And that, that was how he brings with himself when the crowd, simply put, was not there. In my humble estimation, it takes a very unique type of a chassid to be the shliach in the small location. We know lots of stories of lots of big chassidim and lots of big places pulling off lots of huge operations. And today's Fabrengen is dedicated to, for those who are in smaller locations answering the Rebbe's call of wherever a Jew is going to be, we're going to find them, seek them out with love, give them a place to be, and connect with them. And with that introduction, Dr. Laz, uh, thank you for helping my father with his journey to Yiddishkeit back in Buffalo many years ago. And I know it goes vice, vice versa both ways. But you guys, you guys are heroes to many, and you paved the way. And please say Lachaim and share with us some of your firsthand stories of, of your struggle, the real life struggle of why would I do this for so few people, and the the growth as a chassid that you've experienced because of it. Lachaim Lavracha. Lachaim, Lachaim, Lachaim. Rabbis everywhere, all the great shluchim. And keep up the awesome work. Don't ever get discouraged. I know that's easier said than done. But uh, shit up, as they say. And bottoms up. (laughs) 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 This was a Kiddush Cup from uh, Chabad at um, University of Florida by Rabbi Goldman. So they always, uh, every year they come up with these great, uh, you know, goodies that they send out to to their chevra. So... Um, I want to welcome all the shluchim wherever you're listening in and tuning in and really uh, appreciate it. And I thought I would start with a story that's uh, Nogea Lamaisa. And it's definitely no, personally Nogea because it, it concerns my Buffalo Bills. And being from Buffalo, so this year, Baruch Hashem, we're off to a good start. We're 2-0. <laughs> but which is very unusual. I wish the season would end now. And, uh, you know, we first place in our division. But uh, when Marv Levy was the Jewish coach of the Buffalo Bills, so I was actually known as the Buffalo Bills rabbi. And so I was pretty close with Marv Levy, tried to get him to put on to fill in, which is the hidden reason why they uh, never won the Super Bowl, <laughs> because he always... Uh, like managed to sneak away from me and never put on. Um, but there's this great, uh, great line of his that I absolutely love, which I think is so awesomely powerful and totally Nogea to our, uh, our Fabreng today. So he would get with the players before the game. And you know how they all put their arms in the middle. Everybody's got their hands in the middle like this, you know, the, the whole crew. And Marv Levy would say, uh, where would you rather be than right here? And that players would all yell back, right now. Okay, where would you rather be than right here, right now? 
And, you know, when I first heard him doing that, uh, it just struck me that that's such a, uh, that's such a Hasidish uh, minhag. You know, such a, that, that's really, the Rebbe want, wants us to be here, right here, right now. And, you know, not to go with our, uh, you know, with, with our, a sad look, or, you know, the, the frown on our face, what the heck are we doing there? But this is where we're meant to be. And, um, you know, if I can, from my background, you know, quote, quote a, a Beatles song, and one of the Beatles songs that says, um, know where you can be, that isn't where you're meant to be. Okay? Know where you can be, that isn't where you're meant to be, which is a, a great, uh, also a great line. And so we all sort of find ourselves in, in places that we're really meant to be. So if you're tuning in, this is where you're meant to be. And, uh, um, and I'm meant to be right here and hopefully, uh, you know, sharing and learning together with you. Uh, but I felt like when Marv said that, you know, that I, I said to myself, Olivai should translate that into my day-to-day activities. You know, you get up in the morning, you, you know, and then you dive in, and then you head to work. And sometimes it's all, you know, it's, it gets rather rote-like. But we, we got to be right here, right now. And then, you know, then it's sort of a living miracle. It's like every, every moment is a, is a living miracle. So if we keep our, you know, our minds open and keep our eyes open, and then all these awesome things just take place right, right uh, in front of us. So, um, so I wanted to share, with, share that with you. And I think it's a good thing. If you even want to write it down just to remember, where would you rather be than right here, right now? And so I got to give a yeshikaf to Marv Levy, Jewish coach of the Buffalo Bills. He brought the Bills to uh, four straight Super Bowls in a row. Now, speaking of that, uh, because it, we're talking about quality over quantity. So I can't tell you how often I get ribbed on the fact, oh, the Bills stink, the Bills are this, the Bills are that. You know, what's the, the new um, area code of Buffalo, 004? You know, they lost four in a row. Uh, but do you realize for five years in a row, they were the winningest football team in the NFL? I just, I just mentioned that because in terms of quality, they were there. So you could say, ah, but they never won the big one. But forget about that. So, okay, so they didn't win the Super Bowl. They were in two of them. Two of the four, they got blown out. But for five years straight, there was no team in the NFL that had a better record than them. I mean, they were just an awesome team. So if you go by quality over quantity, they were there. Uh, but very often, unfortunately, in our crazy world, you know, in this Olamagashmi, we look, sometimes we get hung up in, in quantity. And, you know, that's the, the physical world. Misha Mana, Ratsa Masayim. In fact, I, I have a Chrysler 200. And so in the, uh, the uh, foot mats, it says 200 on them. But I'm thinking to myself, right? You, you want 400. So 200 isn't good enough. <laughs> so, but they don't, the Chrysler doesn't make a 400. If you had 400, you want more. So, I mean, there's a lot of sikhs where the Rebbe explains that, um, you know, that that's actually, you know, a healthy attitude. You know, when it comes to baruchnias, you always want to grow. You always, we should always want to grow and always want more. And sometimes we get hung up in the gosh, um, you know, where we're, 
we have this, we have that, but ah, ah, but if I only had a little more of this, a little more of that. And for some of you, you might know that I, um, my, I teach in the public schools. I started off in the public school system. And this is year, I'll share this with you, 42. 42 years straight, I have been teaching special ed, and I absolutely love what I do. And people are, every day, people are saying, you know, hey, Laz, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? And my first thought is, well, do I look that old? <laughs> do I look like ancient history or something? And so I always tell them, I'm thinking about retiring in 40, 50 years from now. And they look at me like I'm out of my mind. But I love what I do. And for me, it, working with, uh, I, I do music therapy for um, students with profound special needs. We ha I have them up to age 22. So uh, I remember when I was in the yeshiva in, um, in Morristown, and Rabbi Lipsker was encouraging us, no, you can't just sit here and learn. You got to get out into the world. You got to get married. You got to have kids. You got to get out into the real world and make an impact in the real world. So um, uh, I was actually the uh, second guy to get married and the first guy to move off of the yeshiva grounds into the, the town of Morristown itself. And remember Rabbi Lipsker shared a word with me. He said, you're not in... In, in this physical world until you've changed your kid's diaper. So I, I, I saw him a few years back and I said to Rabbi Lipsker, nah, you're not in this world until you've changed one of my students' diapers. <laughs> because I work with students who are up to 22 years old and sometimes they're 250, 300 pounds. So that Kanaidahara is a diaper. That Kanaidahara is really being in, in, you know, in this world. And I I mentioned that because they have helped me in my perspective to see how just to be grateful for all the brachas that we have in our lives. You know, I, we're t I'm talking to you right now. You're understanding, you're, you're thinking, your brain is turning, you're, you're reacting somehow. Maybe you're acting emotionally or acting intellectually, you know, whatever it is. And some of my students don't have that ability. I have a lot of my students who, um, um, who are, uh, nonverbal, a lot of them in wheelchairs. And so they've really taught me to um, not be so hung up on the gossamers and to look more at quality over quantity. So um, uh, with that, I'll, um, I, I want to share with you two stories. Uh, one, I'll start with a story that happened to me in Binghamton. So uh, I went to, to do a Shabbaton for the Slonims in Binghamton. Uh, some of you, I'm sure you, you know Rabbi Slonim and, and Rabbits and Slonim, uh, the real, you know, dynamic couple. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, uh, you know, as big of a chassid as I've ever met. She's a real dynamo and they're like a real power couple. Uh, and so what, I've done several Shabbatones for them in music programs over the years. And it's been amazing to see the growth took place and that's taking place. But so I went, to go, this is going back when everything was in their house. And so there was about 150 students, which I was amazed at because when I was a college student at the University of Buffalo, and I remember that I took my, um, uh, my last semester and I'll be quite honest with you, I was uh, not into Yiddishkeit. I was about to marry, pardon the expression, a beautiful blonde shiksta. 
And so I was very confident of who I was and where I was at. And then I see a course called Jewish Mysticism taught by uh, Rabbi Garari. Well, little did I know <laughs> that this short little rabbi in a high squeaky voice would would blow my mind <laughs> in many ways and light up uh, my neshama. Uh, uh, p- pause and say l'chaim for that one. <laughs> l'chaim. So all I have is Rashi here until uh, my wife comes home and finds the, the better stuff. But l'chaim, kever, l'chaim. All the awesome shluchim. And by the way, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel, your father I met when I was in the middle of that course. And for me to find out that just like a half a year, a year before, he, was, he looked like I did. He had long hair, and he was a typical alienated Jewish college student. Um, and now he looked, like, he looked like a rabbi. And, you know, he could open up a book and learn in Hebrew. He, he totally flipped me out. And he was extremely uh, inspiring to me. Um, I thought, wow, if he could do it, maybe there is some hope for me. So I'll interject for a second and get back to Slonim's story in a second, but Gershon Gershon, um, Wachtel was was visiting for Shabbos. He has two two boys in our community. And I didn't know know if he was a Buffalo boy. We're walking home from show Friday night. He says, Buffalo, I said, my dad. He looks at me and says, the Rebbe sent your dad back to Buffalo to save me. I said, what, what are you talking about? No, I knew that when, when my father, Tovia Teldin, you may have been part of it. I don't know if you were there or not, but there were a couple others where they went into their first Yechidus. It was their Shredesh, Tammuz, Tashan Lamed, I don't know, maybe Lamed Beis. And my father had already been in Maristan for a little while. And his question to the Rebbe was, do I continue in Yeshiva or do I go back to school? And the Rebbe said, where are you holding? And my father said, I finished year three. The Rebbe said, go back and finish and get your degree. And my father was absolutely stunned. Like, no, the, the beyond predictability, of course, go back to yeshiva. That, that's, right, right. And <laughs> turns out he ended up staying. There was a frum couple living there. He stayed on their couch for six months because by then he was a frum, uh, a frum yid. And Gershon told me, he said, I had already become frum and I was starting to slip. And your dad came back and picked me up. So he, he often he, I, I think he, he came back to, to save me as well. <laughs> it, it's interesting. So the Rebbe, you talk about the one individual that ever sent him back. You thought you belonged in Yeshiva. No, I got work for you to do. Uh-huh. Okay, so, you, it's interesting you mentioned Tuvia Talden. He was my Chavruso in Morristown. And um, we looked so much alike back in the day that when I became engaged, and he was my, uh, my Shomer, you know, and when he walked into the room, my wife immediately went like this. <laughs> she thought it was me. And, and then when we went for the, the, uh, the first Shabbat brothers, he comes into the room and everybody starts dancing with him. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, fellas, uh, here I am. <laughs> it's good. All right. Back to the story. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, okay. So this, this, it was at Rabbi Slonim's. It was in Binghamton. And... He had over 100, 100 students Friday night. And I, it just boggled my mind because when I was a college student, like the last place I would be would be at a quote unquote, you know, Jewish religious facility and doing Shabbat. But uh, so I was, I was very impressed with that. And it was in their house. And so then, so I spoke during, during, during the meal a few times. I did some of my Jewish rap songs. 
kind of blew him away. I was actually uh, the first rapper in the Jewish music scene. I don't know if a lot of the Shluchim don't know that, but I came way before Schlockrock. I know I'm giving, up, I'm giving away my age. You know, Matis was in diapers. <laughs> and um, so they were kind of blown away by that because they weren't used to seeing a guy with a beard and yarmulke, you know, doing rap. And um, so after, and I spoke during the meal. And then, so after the meal was over, Rabbi Slonim came up to me and he said to me, uh, every Shabbos morning before Davinim, uh, I give a shear. But, you know, the, you're, you're like you're fresh blood in town, so uh, new face, you know, Pani Chadasha. So could you, I'd like you to give the shir uh, Shabbos morning. So I put my foot in my mouth and I said, sure, <laughs> no problem. And um, so I remember, I, um, uh, and by the way, if you know the, the Sloanum, you know Rabbi Sloanum? They, he davens every word, the kavana. They sing like almost the entire davening. And I'm, I'm on spilkies because I, you know, I got a little bit of that ADHD going on. And so, like, can't we get through this already? Like, you know, everything like is slow, the kavana, every, the proper pronunciation. And so, um, uh, so anyway, I wake up Shabbos morning and I hear Rabbi Slonim's voice from the end of the hallway, you know, we're in the, in the, this, their little room that was turned into a shul. And, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I just, I overslept. And so now I had a, a, a problem because at the end of the hallway was two rooms on each side. One room is my bedroom. The other one is the bathroom. And then, then you come back down the hallway and it opens up into the, uh, where the shul is, where he's now learning with the students. So, my dilemma was, I'm in my PJs. I have to run across the hallway, <laughs> run to the bathroom to change. So I said, do I wait? And I was like, no, nah, if I wait, it gets worse the longer I wait. So let me make a mad dash. You know, so I sort of went like this. <laughs> Didn't dare look to the left, you know, down the hallway. And I quickly run into the bathroom. I do this quick Superman change into my, my Shabbos clothes, you know, wash up and everything. And I zip on down the hallway. And Rabbi Sloan, he was so into it. You know, I could hear his voice, um, you know, even while I'm changing in the bathroom. And, you know, I, I figured that if he had 125 students Friday night, he's probably got 30, 40 students Shabbos day. And he, um, so I come running down the hallway, like, you know, I'm going to apologize, walk into the room, and he is learning with, you take a guess how many students? Uno. One student is sitting there across the table and he has, you know, some crackers, some juice. He's learning with one student. And I'm telling you, I was flabbergasted. It was maybe like 8.30, 8.40 in the morning. And Dominic is still like about an hour to go. Um, come on, give me a break. I, if one student is knocking on my door, I'm going to be honest with you. And it's 8.30 in the morning. I'll say to them, how about we learn after the meal? Come to my house, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, come then. You know, right now, 8.30 in the morning, give me a break. That's what I would, for sure would have thought. But he was so I think the thing that really amazed me was how, um, I, that I really thought there was like 30, 40 students there, maybe more. Just, just he was so animated. He was so sincere. It wasn't like, you know, like, yeah, this week's Parsha. 
Uh, let's get into the parsha. Uh, I think I need my second cup of coffee. Could you just bring me a cup of coffee? He was he was there. He was right here, right now. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? And he was uh, like 110% there for that student. So at Davini, you know, then we had the Davini. It was very nice. They had the meal. I spoke again. They wanted some more rap stuff. You know, and by, you know, of course, by the meal, a lot more students came. And when I had some private time with him, I said to him, you know, like, how, like, how do you do that? Rabbi Shalom, like, how do you do that? How do you, like, get up the energy, the enthusiasm, you know, the earnest kite? How, how are you able to do that? And he said to me as follows. He said, we have 125 students here Friday night because I put myself out 125% for one student. He said, and you know what? And that'll translate. Next week, maybe two students will come. And then maybe four students will show up. And then who knows how many. But you know what? Today, his Chabad house is huge. It's beautiful. He's soon probably going to outgrow that. It's not in his house anymore. It's like sort of behind his house. And now, I kid you not, for uh, the last Shabbaton I did for him, which is maybe a year and a half ago, they had about 400 students Friday night. 400! Okay, and it goes to the fact because for one student, you're 100% there. Like, I, and for me, it boggles my mind because I, I don't think I could do that. Like, I've had all these lessons in my life that teach me that's what you should do. That's what you should do. And you can do it. But I've always, it's always like, you know, twisting my right arm. And, but because they're, I feel that they're, you know, they put themselves out and they're not into the quantity. The quantity happens automatically. You know, you're, we, we focus on the quality and the quantity happens automatically. You know, I, I can just tell you that South Florida, you know, I was speaking to Robert Lipsker one time and, you know, they were davening, I think it was maybe in a, in a hotel room, or maybe in his apartment even. And a guy came up to him and he gave him a check for a million dollars. He thought it was a joke. He was going to rip it up. And the guy said to me, the guy didn't look like, you know, he was wealthy, anything special. And he came, and he only davened there a few times. And he said, I love what you do. I love how you're, like, you're so sincere. You're so positive. You're, you know, always positive and always, um, you know, coming across like you're, you're 100% there. Here's, here's a check for a million dollars. Build yourself a nice shul. And he's got the famous corner goal, the shul in South Florida, which is, you know, which is amazing. So I feel that the, if we focus on quality, the quantity is going to come. You know, don't get discouraged. The quantity will come. And, um, you know, I would just look at like how the, you know, the Rebbe could stand on his feet for hour after hour. And, you know, and how that famous line, you know, when you're counting diamonds, you don't sit down. You know, you're like, here comes another precious diamond. Wow, look at this. You know, but the Rebbe really saw it. It was no joke. You know, like it, for, for me, maybe it's just a story. But the Rebbe really, you know, really saw that. So that's my, uh, my one limud I have a, um, that I learned from Rabbi Slonim. And it's something that um, I really try to take to heart. Uh, just, you know, I think about it a lot. And I, I really try to take it to heart in my, uh, my daily life. I really, you know, like when I'm, uh, a few guys in shul, they said to me, you know, oh, you've written all these books and blah, blah, blah. And you're working with special needs kids in the public school. You know, you should be like dean of the university, you know, like that. But I don't, I don't think like that. Like that's, you know, 
I'll get the offer. We'll talk about it then. <laughs> but you know, they're disappointed that that's not what that's not what I'm doing. But I'm. I feel like wherever I am, I've got to be all there. And so, and like I'll just share with you. I have like a, a kid in a wheelchair. His kid's name is Lewis, and um, uh, he. I've had him for like three years. And he comes into my my music room, and he sits in a wheelchair, and he's basically like this the whole time. And maybe last year at some point, I put a, uh, a maraca in his hand and I started shaking his hand to the beat. Would well, you know, he started shaking that maraca and his eyes opened up and he maybe shook that maraca for about three minutes and then he threw it across the room. He was done. But he woke up and I felt like, is that his problem? No, it was my problem. It was my problem that, like, why am I looking at him like he can't do he can do if I'm willing to go out of my Dalai Lama's, you know, like, ah, uh, like, you know, you're just, he, this poor kid is just sitting there in Nebuch and I'm thinking like, assuming that he's not processing anything, but we, you always have to assume ability and we got to be there. And, that, and I, I, it's a kick in the, in the derriere for me, like every day when I'm teaching, like I can't just sit down and play guitar and sing songs with them. I got to get up and I have to interact with them physically, get in their face, you know, and whisper in their ear and, and really be there for them. And it really has taught me, taught me a lot. I really learned, you know, it's like the old thing when we tell Mida Yossi Merkulam. And even these students with profound special needs, uh, amazing lessons. And we'll, we'll maybe save that for another time. Um, I want to share uh, another story that happened. Can I go into that? Yeah, I just want to interject for a second. As you're talking, I'm processing. You talk about... Um not seeing the ability in, in the in the special needs of children, in a sense, is a parallel of the Yid, who I don't think is shy to the mitzvah. I don't think he's shy to come. And it's not my job to decide what he, how he will respond. I think in, the, in this chos of today's Febring, and I had a very special experience this morning, I helped the Jew put on film for the first time in his life. And I had no idea how he would respond, but we were on the phone, and I used the opportunity, I said... I have something special in mind for you. He said, tell me. I said, have, have, you, ever, have you ever prayed with Philanon? He said, no. I said, it's a one. I said, You're, you've got a Jewish mom, I've got a Jewish mom. He said, yeah. I said, so we're brothers and this belongs to both of us. You have a few minutes, come on by. We'll do something special together. He said, that sounds good. And it turns out he grew up in Arkansas on a farm. Grandparents are survivors. He doesn't have a Jewish name. The bris was in the hospital. so He never saw Tefillin in his life. And it was coming up, knowing that we're entering into this Fabrengen of the one individual counts, I gave off the energy of, this is good for you. Why don't, would you like to do something that's good for you? And he stepped right in. I, I, I can't say you know, he choked up, but we talked about coming back once a week, putting out Tefillin again. Um, and so the, the, the responsibility on my part to see that Ratzin inside the Nisham of a Jew, a Yid wants to connect with Eivisho, like Tayyemim says, not they can, not they can, not they want to stay torn apart from the Eivishter. So seeing them as the one that's able to rattle that tchotchka uh-huh. in, in the mitzvah sense, uh-huh. they catch on to that. And even if they throw it, even if they throw it and say, I'm done for now, they didn't throw it at you. Right, right. And it, you know, I just want to add to that, absolutely, that um, uh, I would say, you know, this notion of we're, 
like we're be here now we're here we're here and we're here right now and that you know the to me what one of the things that i thought was so awesome about the Rebbe was his um how he reached out to everyone so i would even add um to to jew and to gentile as well to um because if we're present in the moment then we're not thinking about our you know our individual situations our individual problem we're not hung up in our own our own box you know if we if we think that wow i'm really here for uh, i'm here for for somebody else i'm here to serve you know even us as simcha that's 24/7 right uh we what's ever going to a forbringer from morrison and I, I was driving with Rabbi Lipsker, and there was a taxi cab pulled up next to us. And his, the on-duty light, he, it was on, and then he turned it to off. And Rabbi Lipsker, like, hits me in the arm, and he says to me, you see that? You see that? And I said, I said yeah, I see that. And therefore, he says, well, do you know what that means? I said, no. <laughs> I said, it means that guy's probably done working, and he's going home to Gay Shlavi. He said, he said, but the Jew's on-duty light is always on. We can't turn it off. So it's on 24-7. And so we don't have that luxury of being able to flip. No, we're, we're not on duty now. So I think if we, like, you know, you were on duty for that guy. And so when we had, um, uh, we were on our way to camp this year. I'll just tell you, we had uh, the, these two interesting experiences, one on the way there, one on the way back. And um, we, um, I always feel like whenever we, we stop at a motel, you know, on the way or something, there's always, if I stay open, always something crazy happens. And I, like a year ago was one, we got into a hotel at like 3.30 in the morning. And I was, again, upset, like, oh, Hashem, why are you doing this to me? Why, what's going on? We're looking for a place. We were stuck in the boonies of Pennsylvania and we could not find a place. And there was construction. And so here too, like if, if, I think if we would realize Hashem's the boss, right? Hashem's the pilot. And so if we're like, if we're the co-pilot, if we realize we're the co-pilot, it takes a whole load off our shoulders. You know, we're, Hashem's in charge. So there's a whole lo- load of worry that's not even on your shoulders anymore. At best, we're co-pilots. So anyway, I, I go into this place about 3.30 in the morning, and there's a guy sitting in the lobby, and he says to me, he uh, says, oh, you, you're Jewish, huh? I said, yeah, you know, he sees my yarmulke, my beard. And it turns out it was a, he was a Kohen. He was down on his luck. I had, you know, I lent him some money so we could take a, a cab to get to the, um, I just see somebody's trying to get into the house. <laughs> okay, hang on. I'm, I'm going with you. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just heard you. Now. I, I'll show you how to do it later. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good to see you, Margo. Thanks for coming. So, um, um, yeah, so if we realize that, you know, at best we're co-pilots, right? And so if we realize that we have the shlichos, it's 24-7, our on-duty light is on. And so I'm meant to be at this motel at 3.30 in the morning for some crazy reason. So what is it? So then I go to my, I didn't really feel like talking to the guy, but like in such a miserable mood, like an idiot. Here's a guy who's so, he, that he has to stay in the lobby and wait for the bus station to open up, you know, he's not getting any sleep. And I'm like, I'm complaining. I go to my car, walk in with my tefillin bag. I didn't want to leave it in the car. And he says to me, wait, is that tefillin? And I said, I said, yeah. He said, 
can, can I just hold the bag? He holds the bag, he kisses it, he starts crying. This is why I was there. <laughs> I got, you idiot, you know? I'm complaining, like, Hashem's, you know, Hashem's the planner. He's, he's the boss. Like, so it had to work out that way. And I had to go there for this, for this guy. And, and I felt afterwards, you know what? I sh- even though it was 3.30 in the morning, I should have put him on him just without a bracha, you know? I, I don't know, but this is what I was thinking. But um, anyhow, so uh, so yeah, that that's the notion, and, and and like you said, if we're if we're present in the moment, then we realize whoever we come in contact with, we we're meant to come in contact with them. But for what? Something that we're supposed to get out of the deal, or something we're supposed to give? So I think, right? If we give, you're gonna get anyhow. Um, and if I could just share this one little story, and then I'm, and then I want to share the story with happened with Rabbi Spalter and Weston. So I'm going to jump in. I'm jumping for a second. An anecdote on that. A friend of mine, first experience Chabad on campus, and uh, first party of his of his career. And a few minutes into the party, and the president of the student group walks up to him and says, "Rabbi, Rabbi, you got to put on a smile." He says, "What do you mean?" He says, "You look devastated. You look disappointed." <laughs> he says, "Well, what do you mean?" He says, "You look like you're disappointed that there's no crowd over here." I said, really? He said, yeah. <laughs> he said, we're happy you're here. We're happy with whatever's going on. You've got to look happy. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's good gazak. And sometimes, yeah, that's, some, that's like a, you know, a, a booster shot for you or, a, you know, a kick in the derriere. And, um, but we, we also had a, um, a Misa also where we, again, at another hotel and we're there. It was in um, uh, South Carolina. And well, actually, I wanted, I wanted to tell, I wanted to share this one with you because I think this one was, is really like, it's, it's just that, like the coolest story. We, um, on the way home from camp this summer, we're, I'm still doing camp. It's over, uh, it's like 38 years straight that I'm doing camp. I think it keeps you young and I love camp. I'm a camper at heart. And some of you may have even been at to camp with me. I spent several years with Gandhi Israel and uh, Mogan Abraham. Uh, I've currently been at this camp called Camp Masora for the last like 22 summers. But um, anyhow, so we got a place that was way off the beaten track. Um, my wife decided, let, let's do like an Airbnb and just do something very unusual. So I'll tell you what, I, anyhow, we, we come to this place. It was so out in the boonies. Like we got there, but it's like midnight. And the guy comes out of the barn with an axe. <laughs> and I said to my wife, it's a good thing I didn't watch too many horror movies growing up. <laughs> and she was like, maybe we should just turn around and get out of here. And then it, two of his kids came out of the barn, so I felt a little safer. Um, and yeah, we leave his place the following day. Oh, they were fine. They were really sweet people. They, had, they gave us a homemade apple pie, which we couldn't eat, obviously. And we told them why. And uh, we said, we're Jewish. We keep kosher. They had no idea what that meant. Absolutely no idea. Um, he wanted to know, well, you, y'all believe in Yeshua as the Savior, right? So uh, I told Gitlo, I step on the gas and I'm jumping in. <laughs> so we had a little conversation about that. Anyhow, I... I um, about a mile down the road, we come to this teeny little gas station. It's all kind of this like old beat up thing down south. And, you know, the pumps are like half broken. And I walk in and as I walk in, I see the guy inside the gas station, his mouth falls open. He's like this. 
and he just follows me with his gaze. And I, and I promise you this is true. He says to me, what are you? Not who are you, but what are you? <laughs> so I was like, um, you mean like what religion am I? And he says, yeah. So I said, I said, oh, I'm Jewish. Ever, you know, the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron. And this is what's his reaction. He went like this. That's all he could say was, wow. I, th I don't think he ever saw one in his life. <laughs> I paid for my goodness. I said, thank you. And he was just like, like he never saw one in his life. So I wish him a good day. Thank you very much. But anyhow, it's like, it's that notion of being here, being now, being present 24-7. Um, and let me, let me just share this story with you that happened to, uh, to me and my band. We were playing for... Uh, Rabbi Spalter for Chabad in Weston. And he also now has this beautiful Chabad house, beautiful shul. And it, for me, it's really nice to go back and do gigs for them or Shabbatones and see, you know, just, wow, you've come a long ways, baby, you know, that, that kind of thing. It was, it was in a storefront, you know, which is typical for a lot of, um, you know, young, early, uh, early Chabad houses. And so it was in a storefront, a small little place, kind of real narrow, and I went there to play for, um, uh, for Purim. And so I have, I have like a, I don't know if it was a five-piece band. I think I bought my four-piece band. You're talking drummer, myself on guitar, keyboard player, uh, horn player. And, and I, I bring enough equipment to take on Madison Square Garden. All right? I'm ready to rock out Madison Square Garden. I come into the Chabad house, and there's maybe... 12 people and half of the 12 are the spelters. Okay. <laughs> so, so if you minus the Chabad family, you're talking like five, six people. So, okay. My big old ego gets in the way and I am saying to myself, there is no way I am going to schlep out all this equipment, set up a full band. Are you, are you flipping kidding me? set up a full band we're ready for you know for madison square garden i'm going to play for chabad so i went up to rabbi spalter i said to him i said rabbi here in those days it was cassettes i said rabbi here's some cassettes here's a cassette player i'll get it back from you you know after the holiday um you just play these you keep your money because you know really what i was feeling was that this is way below my dignity <laughs> okay, this is my ego cannot handle this, and uh, I'm really I'm pulling out, and I'm saying here's the cassettes. I'm going to save you money. I'm going to save me a lot of grief and aggravation. And he says to me, he says, no, no, I, I hired you to play. I want you to play, and I, I'm trying to talk him out of it. My son was Yassi, who was is uh, a great drummer, and. Um, so he pulls me aside. He, he tells me to come outside. I go outside. And, you know, you know how they say kids know what buttons to push, right? So Yassi, my son Yassi, he says to me, he says, Abba, I thought you were into this quality over quantity business. He says, put your money where your mouth is. And you're like, we came to play. He wants us to play. You don't want to get paid for it, so don't get paid for it. But we come to play. Let's play. And I looked at him like, 
Wow, that's a low blow. <laughs> He's, you know, my own words coming back to haunt me. So I was like, okay, fine. I wasn't thrilled about it. You know, I was like, okay, fine, <laughs> let's go. So we open up the, you know, the trunk. You're talking like a sound system I got to set up. We got to set up drums. I, you know, like amplifiers, the whole bit. We're going to basically, we're going to blow out the windows in this little Chabad house. So we set up and we play. And maybe four other people came. So you're talking, besides the rabbi's family, maybe 10 people. And he's, pay, he's paying me and my full band to perform. Okay. So I was, I was doing my, one of my um, Jewish rap songs. And the, um, uh, one of the lines was, don't mean to brag, don't mean to be coy. I just thank the good Lord, I'm a real Jew boy. And then the chorus goes, Jew boy. And the ladies would say, Jew girl, right? And it's like amongst Jews, you can say that. You can say Jew boy and Jew girl, you know? It's like, if you're black, you can say the N word, but if you're white, you can't. But amongst Jews, you can, you can say the J word, okay? So anyhow, they're, they're, they're lined up along the side. There was, nobody was dancing except the, the rabbi's kids and the rabbi. And so I took the microphone and I'm walking along and having them sing along to the chorus part, right? Uh, so I get there, there's one guy sitting there and I, you know, I put the mic in front of his, his mouth and I say, you know, that, that don't mean to brag, don't mean to be coy, just thank the good Lord, I'm a real Jew boy, and all he has to do is say, Jew boy. And he says, Jew boy. Awesome. I start walking to the next person. He holds my hand and he pulls me back. And he puts the microphone in front of his mouth. We did it again. I start walking away. He pulls me back. So three or four times I go back to this guy with the microphone. Then afterwards I'm thinking, okay, sir, that's really nice. But we got to share the glory. Let, let everybody get a chance, you know. And um, okay. And then I go down the line. Everybody has a chance to participate. We finish the song. We take a break. And these two ladies come up to me and they both have tears in their eyes. And uh, one, you know, one, one looked to be the mother, one was the daughter, which turned out to be the case. And the, she starts to speak and then she starts crying. So at first I'm thinking like, usually when they come up to you, they're either going to tell you how great the music was, but if they're crying, they're going to tell you it's way too loud. <laughs> I'm thinking she's going to complain about the volume, which happens, you know, quite a, quite a bit. Um, so I, although in my old, my older age, I've gotten used to turning it down somewhat, <laughs> but so she tells me th this follows. She said, this is my daughter and that's my husband who kept pulling you back with the microphone. He had a stroke about three months ago and he has not spoken one word in three months, not one, one word. And she said we were just we were just totally we you know emotional about what what just happened. The doctors said already like six weeks ago he could start speaking, but he hasn't said anything. So I said to her, um, I said that's one one heck of a way to get a, a free uh, CD from me. But I'm giving you a free CD, <laughs> my music, and um, although maybe it was a cassette actually back then, as I mentioned. Um, but then I said to her, listen, it's not my music. It's not rap. It's just music. Music is really magic. So you have to do more music with him. Go like songs that he used to sing, songs that he likes, play those. And he'll, he'll start singing along. And, um, 
But can you imagine that incredibly powerful lesson that I would have missed if like an idiot, I would have listened to my ego. I would have said, hey, here's the cassette tapes. I am out of here, right? Because my ego is way too big to handle this. And what, I mean, again, what a kick in the backside to me. Like what an amazing, uh, powerful lesson for me to learn. You know that, first of all, you can't judge anybody ever, right? Can't judge anybody. I didn't know that that's what was going, you know, that's what was happening. And we, that's the truth of the matter is we don't know. You know, we don't know what every single person on the planet, what, what their situation is, what they're dealing with, who they are, why they're here. But one thing we do know that, that they're here and when we're around them and they've come into our Daladamas, that we're meant to do something with them. I, I truly believe that. We are meant to interact with them. And we're, we're meant to engage them in some way, even if it's just to say, hello, how are you? How's life treating you? Oh, I'm on the, I'm on the subway. Here, ma'am, take my seat. And, you know, it makes a huge kiddush Hashem. And then maybe they start talking to you, maybe not. But we, we, we have to be present. And then we realize that, that the quality of each moment, you know, it just comes shining through. And um, so we just... You know, it's again, it's easier said than done, but it's just something I, you know, just see in, in my, my daily life and, uh, you know, time and time again. So uh, let me say a to the Spouters, who, by the way, they have now, because Gimezi hired a full band, right? <laughs> hired a full band. I'm sure if they played cassettes, he wouldn't have gone around with a microphone to this guy, right? They now have a big, huge, beautiful Chabad house. They have a Hebrew school. They've got, you know, like daily minyanim. I mean, he's turned over his community. He's he, like, he came, he saw, he conquered. But it's quality over quantity. He's, you know, he didn't get bummed out. He, he didn't come out to me, which he could have done and said, I think if I would have been running a Chabad house and a, and a full band of four or five musicians come in, I'd be like, oh, shoot, I think I could save me a thousand bucks right now. And I'd be, guys, um, you know, I sent out 500 invitations and there's only five people besides my family. So would you mind just taking 200 bucks and like hitting the road? He could have so easily told me that, you know what? I would have done it. And I probably would have said, no, no, you, you keep the 200. Or maybe I would have said, you know, let me just get the money, pay the band members, but don't pay me. But he didn't. And that, you know, to his credit, he didn't. And then look what, as a result, what happened. I mean, this was the first time this guy spoke in three months. This was, and his family needed to know that, you know, with music, maybe I can start to open up, open up my husband's brain again. Maybe my father will start speaking more, you know, maybe that helps save this guy. So, but again, it's just a matter of us, you know, staying tuned in, staying, keeping that focus. So let me say, we have to say to the Spalters, the Slotums, and to all you awesome shluchim out there, I'm not sure how many thousands of you are tuning in right now, <laughs> but remember, even if it's just one, Rabbi even if it's just you and me, you can die, <laughs> big time. Amen, Doc, can I, can I, we have a few minutes ahead of us, I want to close, uh, bring it to close on time, can I change the channel just slightly for a second? Sure, sure. any direction you want. So I'm going to to put you on a little bit of a vulnerable chassid spot. Uh Aha.
there are, in your journeys, so you, you shared earlier that Rabbi Gerari was, that, that, that mystical course of the Rabbi Gerari changed your life. Right. You've had encounters with the Rebbe along the way. You study, you learn the Rebbe's chassidus. You, you're, 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 in many ways, you are the Rebbe shliach. What, what, what would you suggest if we're allowed to go there? If not, just say stop, change the channel. But what would you suggest is the Rebbe's message today based on, based on what you know from the, from the Rebbe, Chassid, the Shluchim, what's the Rebbe's message to the Shliach? Let me, let, me, let me back up just for a second. I have a pet peeve <laughs> that one day at the Kinnas HaShluchim, they're going to introduce the keynote speaker and say, this is a man who had 11 people on Rosh Hashanah. And the room is what? 11 people in the shul on Rosh Hashanah. Uh-huh. And the whole room is going to stand up and applaud and say, thank God, I don't have to be in that Chabad house. <laughs> thank God I'm not the shliach at that Chabad, but I'm glad he's there and I'll pay for him to stay there because I don't want that because it's too small for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not that that may be odd, that may be right, it may be wrong. It's just my little, my little shtick. Uh-huh. We know that when the Rebbe is counting diamonds, it's, it's valueless. People aren't worth what's in their bank account. They're worth the value of a neshama, which is infinite. We know that from the Bashem and straight down. Right. What would you say is the Rebbe's message, possibly, to the shliach, young, young shliach or any age shliach, young at heart, in a place where he knows that for this yamtiv, it's going to be on the quieter side. And he may be playing Monopoly with his kid on Rosh Hashanah afternoon to keep the family sane because there's no, there's, there's no other opportunities right now. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if he got a phone call from Rabbi Chavakov that said, I'm, I'm, it's Erev Yamtif, and I'm calling to give you this message from the Rebbe. What do you imagine that message might sound like? I, I, I would think that the, the, I think it's something that the, the Shluchim all know, deep down inside, and maybe even not so deep down inside. And I think it's not really um, like earth shattering. I think it's a very simple but very profound, powerful message to steer the course and stay strong and stay open and reach out with the love, light, and beauty of, of Yiddishkeit and, and with joy. And to me, you know, I was in, in my college days, you know, I investigated so many other religions. I was really searching. And that's so why I looked into Eastern religions. I looked into Christianity. I looked into Zen Buddhism. I, I, really, I was really looking. I, in a million years, I never would have thought it was in my own backyard. And, and, but what attracted me to it, like, I, I'll just tell you in a nutshell, um, in my hippie days, so one of the songs was Dancing in the Streets, Right. It was, it was like, you know, dancing, they're dancing in the streets, right? But I never danced in the streets in my hippie, hippie days. You know what I did? With Rabbi Gerari and Chabalos and Simchas Torah. That I danced in the streets. So he was like a, a bigger hippie than all the hippies put together. <laughs> he, he did it. And so to me, I, just, I was like, wow. He, and it was Simchas Torah. And it was like, the lights had were red. He says, let's go right into the street. I was like, Rabbi, are you crazy? Are you out of your flipping mind? Let's go. So he goes into the street where he had the Sefer Torah. We're dancing a small circle. The lights change green. Some cars are beeping their horns. And some guys got out of the car and started dancing with us. <laughs> so I thought, wow, this guy, I thought, like, 
I was, you know, the coolest. I was the wildest. He makes me look tame. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just think of that the message is just, you know, reach out with, with, with love and joy. And, you know, when you mentioned about, I wanted to parenthetically add about, you said, oh, they're going to be playing like Monopoly with their kids, you know? And you know what? That, then that's what you're meant to do. That's an awesome thing. Don't minimize that. Don't think you're playing Monopoly with your kids or playing Uno or whatever it is is any less important than you putting tefillin on somebody or you learning with, you know, a yid who, who's just coming into Chabad or the first time doing Shabbat or the first time, you know, being exposed to Yiddishkeit. Your kids are just as important. Your family is just as important as any yid you're going to meet out there and perhaps more important. Um, so I think it's good. I think it's healthy to that people do devote you know, personal quality time with, um, with their own kids and their own family. I remember one time, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember a few years ago, a, a neighbor who's uh, who I'm very close with, and uh, who's actually, we're kind of related. Um, so he says to me, it's, it was uh, Chalamoid uh, Sukkis. And he says, okay, I'm going um, downtown Miami to, uh, uh, you know, bench Lula Vanessa with you, and I want you to come with me. So you know what I said to him? I said to him, you know, I'm, I have a big cure project. He says to me, what are you doing? He says, I'm taking my kids out. I'm taking my kids out. I, you know, we have to be, sometimes we forget to be uh, Makar of our, ourselves, our own kids, our own family. And, and um, so when you mentioned, I just wanted to say, like, I think that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful, holy thing. Whenever we're together as a family, almost every Shabbos, we have guests in our house here. And... And for some reason, it ended up like our steady guests, each one of them was sick for different reasons. And people we asked, they were all booked or we had no guests. And I thought to myself, you know what? I have private time with my wife. We'll sit, we'll learn. I'll sing some lagoon, you know, whatever it is. Like, we'll take advantage of those moments. And so sometimes, you know, we kind of get bogged down. And again, I think it's, forget about the numbers game, you know, notches on the belt, you know. Um, how many did you have? How many did you have? You know, uh, it's nice to have a lot. And no, you know, I'm not saying not, but if not, that's sort of that's the ball game. Keep it, you know, you keep it real. And I feel like the, um, you know, the Rebbe always, uh, you know, yeah, there's so many stories of like how the Rebbe is just present every. You're walking home and he talk, you you know, it's a couple teenagers, black teenagers playing on the street, you know, Rebbe would have, you know, interactions with them and speak to them. And, you know, and that, and that made a major impact on this kid's life. You know, one little stop, like, and so it really is true. Like, I, you know, I saw it in Crown Heights so much. Like, uh, I'm going to interject for a second. Yeah. You have a track record for breaking track records. <laughs> so amongst rabbis. I wish I did it in track. <laughs> so, amongst the rabbis, ending on time is not a there's not a big track record for that. But I do want to end at five fifteen to honor everybody's time. So I'm putting you on the clock. Can you bring the fabring to close? Open your heart a little a little wider than you think it's capable, and close it off with a, a bracha to the shluchim from your heart to theirs of whatever you want to wish them in honor of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and anything else. Well, I, from, from my heart, I want to, uh, you know, they say, uh, that where does the brachas, uh, okay, so from brachas hedyot.
<laughs> so just wishing from my heart that to keep up your awesome work. You guys are really like, not just home away from homes, which you are, but you're truly, you're like, you're like uh, beacons of light. And you bring light, love, joy, stability to, the, to this crazy world. And so keep on keeping on. Don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Uh, and things, things will grow. Begashmis, uberuchnis. And like Marv Levy said, be here, you know, present right here, right now. And, you know, um, if I could just end with this one little thing. I'm, there was a reporter who interviewed the Rebbitson. And he asked the Rebbitson, or she asked the Rebbitson, what, what's her, like, most amazing moments, you know, in life? Like, what is, what's the most amazing moment? Expecting her to say when I married the Rebbe, when we came to America, you know, you know, all these kinds of huge events. And she said, my most amazing moment is right here, right now. Right? <laughs> And I think this reporter was speechless for about five minutes because the Rebbes had totally outcooled her. You know, like, well, you know, I'm supposed to be the cool hip reporter and you're telling me your most amazing moment is right here, right now, you know, with me? Like, that's, that's mind-boggling. So if we just keep that focus and Hashem should bless you with uh, with tremendous success, good health, Parnasa bar chava ashiros. Forget about parnasa. I'm talking about ashiros. So people coming up to you should be able to give meiser like millions without the blink of an eye. That'll be your meiser. And nachas and bring nachas to kolam Israel, Nachas to the Rebbe. Nachas to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And um, just keep up your awesome work. And I hope at some point come out and do some of my Jewish rap stuff for you. Dark <laughs> l'chaim. You did, a, you did a fantabulous job of being right here right now, and I know where you were at 4 o'clock, so that's uh, pretty cool how you moved right into the zone. And our, I think our collective bracha to you is as you enter into Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you could, I hope your heart is filled with extra joy knowing that you directly impacted tens of thousands through the shluchim who are leading them, that you've directly impacted tens of thousands beyond number, in the, a, a positive, meaningful, uplifting Yom Tov experience. So thank you to you, all the brachas to you and your family. Thank you to all the shluchim that are joining. And the shivik sivik sima teva, l'shana teva masuka, and l'chaim ad lidai. Amen, amen. L'chaim, l'chaim to the Rothmans. Give a big kush to your, your Abba. Okay? Hello, I love him.